Welcome to Spill the Tea, a bi-weekly download of life, liberty, and the latest in culture and news with your hosts, Dr. Robert McClure and Sal Nuzzo. Welcome to another episode of Spill the Tea. I'm Logan Padgett, Vice President of Communications at JMI, filling in for a Bob and Sal. Um, We have Bill Maddox with us today. Bill's the um, director of the Marshall Center for Educational Options. So all things K through 12 and higher ed. Uh, Welcome to the show, Bill. Thank you. So I wanted to have just a conversation today about um, not only what's going on in your center, but just what Floridians should be paying attention to. I mean, we're three weeks out from session, and so um, I know we were at a luncheon with Corey Simon the other day where somebody asked him the question about, you know, what is one thing that surprised you uh, about your um, your new gig? And he said that everybody told me that it was going to be a marathon and not a sprint. And he said, but it feels a whole lot like a sprint <laughs> right now. And I agree with him. It feels like there's like press conference after press conference announcing a new proposal or a new piece of legislation. So I wanted to just have a conversation about things that Floridians should be paying attention to as we're starting session in the next few weeks. So Right off the top, school choice (laughs) seems to be something that I think is probably going to be the first, one of the first big proposals um, to hopefully make it across the finish line. So talk to folks a little bit about what is the current landscape Mm -hmm. of school choice and what will HB1 um, do to change that? Okay. So currently, the state of Florida has several different scholarship programs that provide opportunities for students to attend private schools if their parents wish. And those scholarship programs serve well over 100,000 students and um, families that earn as much as $100,000 a year are currently eligible. What What the state is now considering is an expansion of that to basically um, turn these scholarship programs into universal programs that would that would be uh, available to anyone who's eligible to go to public school which is everyone Um, and then the other thing that they're um, talking about which I think is really exciting is they're wanting to make these scholarship programs more flexible so that if a family wants they can use it one time a year at their scholarship and buy tuition at a private school. Or if they want, they can use it multiple times with multiple providers purchasing a course here or a curriculum there. And that is a way for education to be uh, unbundled in the way that we've seen with like cable television becoming unbundled and people can now uh, stream and do other things that uh, give the consumer greater uh, choice and flexibility, that same dynamic is at work in education, and we think it will serve kids really well. And so we're excited that the state of Florida is considering this. So this seems, we often talk in the the office about what are issues that keep you up at night. I know this is one for you. This is one for me because I have young kids, and so um, I've been actively following this. And so um, basically the idea is right now, unless you have a child with special needs or you're a family of four making under 100000 you do not have access to school choice. You have to go to the public school in your area or a nearby public school. And it seems as if 
I mean, in my mind, this seems like a no-brainer. I mean, why why should we be making, um, or why shouldn't every kid have access to this? We know that every kid has different unique abilities and aptitudes, um, and maybe that public school doesn't fit. So why, if it seems like a no-brainer, um, you know, we've, we often produce research and we talk about issues that um, maybe not everybody agrees with. Why is this, um, you know, taken so long or why why is there pushback against this idea so the primary pushback comes from the public school establishment and in many ways they are trying to protect schools or school systems um first and foremost and they fear that if you have greater competition in the marketplace fewer kids may attend their schools and that may threaten their jobs but in reality what would end up happening is Teachers that were formerly employed by the public schools would now be employed by someone else because those students are going to be going somewhere. They're going to have to be educated by someone. And in fact, many teachers have responded to some of the things that Florida has already done and said, hey, I'm going to launch out in an entrepreneurial way and create a learning pod or a micro school or a hybrid homeschool. And a lot of teachers have taken the initiative to say, I'm going to remain in the profession and continue to be with kids because that's what I'm all about. But I'm going to do it a little bit different way. And kids are going to be better off. Teachers are going to be better off. The establishment um, school systems um, are the are the ones that are um, potentially threatened. But at the end of the day, as Corey DeAngelis is... Um, likes to say, we should be about funding students and not systems. And our primary concern should be about what is best for them, regardless of um, what then ends up happening to uh, the systems in place. Right. We'll be obviously actively following that. Let's talk a little bit more about things related to education that fall in your center. So um, into the higher education space, there's been a lot of stuff going on um, related to um, curriculum or even not even higher ed, but preparing for higher education. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on related to AP instruction and um, college examinations. Yeah, this is a great topic. Um, Several weeks ago, the Florida Department of Education announced that they would not be able to approve a pilot program or a a new AP course called African American Studies that is being piloted. And they said um, the the curriculum as written uh, violates Florida law in part because it violates the Declaration of Independence and the idea that all of us are created equal and instead injects um, racial bias into the curriculum and ends up having all kinds of uh, stuff that would seemingly have no place in an African-American studies program. So queer theory was one of the sections that was included in the original curriculum. So I know there was something in there, too, about like shutting down prisons. And I mean, just very... Prisons, intersectionality, all sorts of things that are kind of current controversies that really don't seem to have a place. And that was certainly the department's view. Mm -hmm. They had repeatedly um, expressed their concerns to the folks at the college board. And basically the college board did not listen, did not respond. And so the decision was made, we can't approve this. Of course, as soon as that decision was announced, the college board, really two things happened. One is 
a lot of people cried out, you know, on the left and said, oh, this is outrageous. But the college board realized that they had a problem and they were not only going to potentially lose the state of Florida, but a number of other states that um, would look upon this similarly. And so they went and made some modifications in the curriculum. Um, But what was fascinating is that um, not only did many of the kind of usual suspects that you would expect to defend uh, DeSantis on this uh, come out and say so, but there were folks like uh, a, a local official here named Bill Proctor, who um, is kind of the Al Sharpton of Tallahassee city politics, who uh, agreed with the the governor, said that he thought that the curriculum was trash, as he called it, said that it was, quote, sub-mediocre propaganda. And so um, I think an awful lot of people who have kind of taken an objective look at this um, see problems and have uh, raised the alarm. And what's interesting about this is that it has then stimulated a wider discussion about the role of the college board in uh, the curriculum and the need, if you will, for new players, new providers to offer courses and to offer tests in higher education. So uh, some of our friends at the Classical Learning Test are, um, I think, in a great position to potentially have the CLT join the ACT and the SAT as um, tests that are commonly accepted for college admissions purposes and and are used in the determination of eligibility for bright future scholarships here in the state. And the hope would be that, that CLT and others like them would enter into the marketplace and begin to offer college-level courses for AP credit to high school students so that the college board's monopoly um, goes away. So these, these are all, I think, really interesting and exciting developments. And I think, once again, what we're likely to see is an expansion of options, uh, a, a more robust and competitive marketplace, and ultimately that'll serve students well. Um, and we'll get uh, some of the kind of wokeness, if you will, in the current curriculum, uh, uh, you know, forced out. Right. This has kind of been a theme for DeSantis, not only at the K through 12, but higher education level, um, making sure that we're educating our students and not indoctrinating them, pushing back on identity politics. I know he's talked about a proposal um, to ban DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and CRT instruction. Um, there's also been in uh, past year's um, a proposal or a piece of legislation that was passed about surveying kids on on college campuses um, about intellectual diversity. And I think that there's going to be a little bit more about that um, during this session that folks should be paying attention to, yeah, right? There, I mean, this has been something that the left has kind of pushed back against the governor um, since these ideas first surfaced. And it seems really strange to me that people in academia would have a problem with research being done to try mm-hmm. to measure campus climate. But nevertheless, there is legislation once again this year mm-hmm. trying to repeal these surveys, which are intended to just kind of take a pulse and see, are students on campus self-censoring or do they feel free to express their point of view on controversial topics? What about faculty? Are they also self-censoring or here again, um, feeling free to share all points of view and to encourage um, a robust exchange of ideas the way you would want in any sort of college setting. 
So staying in the same realm of higher education, I know there's been um, a proposal too that would allow you to use Bright Future scholarships for certain uh, certificate programs, apprenticeship programs. So um, for students that may not want to go to a four-year university that have more of a knack um, for welding or HVAC or plumbing, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is a really encouraging development. It's v- consistent with kind of a, a pattern that we've seen in recent years in K through 12 education, where there's been a growing awareness of the f- need to do a better job of preparing students who aren't going to go on to college for meaningful work that often is well-paying um, in what are thought of as kind of traditionally blue-collar fields. And so it makes sense to me that Bright Futures monies would be available to students who want to um, acquire certification in some of these areas. And it, I think, is, a rec- is an acknowledgement of the fact that um, college isn't for everyone and that we ought not be encouraging everyone to go that path, that indeed um, many lucrative fields are available to those who are skilled at working with their hands, and we ought to be encouraging those who have a knack for that, an inclination to pursue that, we ought to be encouraging them to do it. Right. And the college is definitely not for everyone. And I know that um, if, it w- if it were for everyone, I would not be as thankful as I, as I am every time that guy from the, the um, heating and air company shows up to fix my AC. <laughs> yeah, we would I'm, be, I'm with you there. We'd be in a real bind. Um, so a couple other uh, things related to education. So, um, I mean, this is labor reform, but it does have uh, an education tie because that's related to teachers. But there's a proposal on full paycheck protection. So right now um, in Florida, you have the, op- the ability to choose whether or not you want to be a member of a union. But counties are actually collecting and remitting the dues if you are a member. And so um, the governor is saying, nope, the unions are going to now collect these dues. Um, It's also re-upping the certification threshold to 60%. So um, for that, they have to have 60% membership, um, dues-paying members, um, in order to be certified. So it also has a huge uh, pay bump for teachers. Yeah, and I have to say... uh, DeSantis is really shrewd. Um, He recognizes that there are teachers that we want to honor and to encourage and to compensate better. um, And we want to see the money go to them and not to be siphoned off by a union that stands between them and the taxpayers that are paying these bills and is siphoning off money that oftentimes the teachers themselves don't want um, going to the unions because they don't feel like the unions uh, represent them well. So this basically allows uh, teachers to benefit, and it puts unions in a really tricky position because on the one hand, if they really are uh, out to represent teachers, they'd be all for the teacher pay increase, but at the same time, they want to continue to have this sweetheart deal that they've had for many years where they get uh, a kind of leg up um, in, in claiming members, and that will go away with this new legislation. Right. Let's talk a little bit about the the budget, just a couple of the the highlights. So um, obviously we know that the it's a budget proposal. Nothing is set in stone. The legislature will call the shots and the governor has got some line item veto authority. Um, but the budget proposal that was released is $114 billion, um, which would be a roughly 4% um, increase. I think that that could sound like a lot, but when you look at the population growth that we have had um, of 2%, inflation somewhere around 7%, the proposal is pretty conservative. And I think when you also look at um, the, the budget proposal of Florida compared to other states like New York, where you've got 
similar population and you've got a budget that's twice the size, um, it, it does seem fairly conservative. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I think that's the appropriate comparison to make because, you know, if you go through the budget with a fine tooth comb, you can invariably find things that you would say, eh, I'm not sure if I'd spend the money this way or I might prefer a cross the board sales tax reduction instead mm-hmm. of a reduction for certain line items. But at the end of the day, the key thing in my mind for Floridians to keep in mind is our state government functions on a shoestring budget. It is not extravagant in the way that like the state of New York is. We consistently come out number one in terms of return on investment, the amount of services that you get for the amount of money that you spend. And so um, I'm glad that, you know, Florida, the governor wants to kind of stay on that path. And I think that's the key thing to keep in mind rather than getting fixated on this particular line item or that particular line item. But the line items are interesting. I mean, if you do want to go out and purchase a gas stove now, you can do it completely tax-free, which I think is funny. And there's some other uh, tax ex- permanent tax exemptions on baby and toddler items and cribs and strollers. Um, things that I know I could purchase an entire gas stove with the amount of tax dollars I've spent on those items. Um, and then a lot of tax holidays. Um, I mean, if, there, if there's something you name it, there's probably a tax holiday for. So uh, I think that that's interesting and it'll be interesting to watch. Um, another, I think, important issue that folks should be paying attention to, Florida does a lot of things uh, right. And we often go into other states and we get to brag about all the wonderful things that we're doing. Um, but one thing that we have struggled on, and we've had a couple special sessions on it related to property um, uh, property insurance, but it's just this, override, uh, this overarching idea of um, our litigation environment and tort reform that is needed. And we're now in a situation in Florida where, I mean, you cannot drive down uh, I-10 or the highway and not go more than a few miles before you see some type of personal injury or trial attorney billboard. And in Florida, not only are we facing very, very high premiums for our property insurance, but it's also our auto insurance too. And so um, the, the lawsuit abuse that we have in Florida is getting baked into the premiums of everyone that has an auto or a homeowner policy. And so I know that there's going to be a proposal in the coming um, days or, or week very soon that's going to try to fight back against this. And, and I think folks should really be paying attention to it. Um, I think a lot of times we, we see these proposals and we don't necessarily know how they really affect us. But if you have an auto policy mm. or you have a homeowner's policy, you should be paying attention to this. Um, I think an interesting um, related to education and something that um, – JMI is engaging on is this idea about social media instruction in schools. Um, There's a a proposal that would make an elective um, taught in schools um, and in an age-appropriate way teach them about the risks of social media. And I think this is an opportunity where um, government can really do something for the good. Um, Kids really need both parents and schools to reinforce these risks. Yeah, in my mind, this is um, just kind of teaching good media literacy and helping students to be aware of how um, various people in social media or for that matter in mainstream news media can sometimes skew um, information to try to get you to uh, draw a certain conclusion that may not be the right conclusion. And so helping students better understand kind of... um, uh, hidden messages or subtle ways in which 
um, information is presented in a biased manner. Beyond just, of course, the overuse of screens and over-reliance on um, uh, our digital devices, I think all of those things are, are welcome. Um, it's an elective course, so it's not the kind of thing that anyone's forced to do, but I think a lot of parents would appreciate having these kinds of courses available to students, and so I'm glad to see that there's a, uh, uh, an interest in that in the legislature. Yeah. Well, lastly, um, before we end, I just wanted to mention um, last week we had a special session. It was a committee week, but it was a special session um, kind of devoted to a couple of things. And so if you weren't paying attention, um, two big things that came out of it. Um, one was the Reedy Creek Improvement um, District is no more. So this was this big battle last session between Disney and um, DeSantis. Um, it's now the Central Florida Tourism Oversight District. So it kind of turns the district into um, similar to like Florida water management districts. Um, the government are, is going to appoint um, members to a governing body. Um, and so um, th this was a big battle last session, but I think it, it brought up an interesting topic about why do we have special taxing districts in general. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing that they, they um, dealt with last session was this idea of name, image, and likeness. Um, there was a big reform that was signed a couple years ago. Um, Florida was the second state to do so. Um, but once the state passed the legislation, um, uh, it, or the, the, uh, the reform that they're doing is now basically allowing the university systems to coordinate with the athletic programs. And, um, and so I know Rep. Chip Lamarca has been trying to get this legislation addressed, and, um, and it seems like we, we finally got a little bit of reform to that. Yeah, and, and it's a, a case where Florida was out front and did a great thing. Other states came along mm -hmm. and did things that were even more expansive. So we're now um, seeing them, one, and catching up at the very least. And I'm sure that all the Seminole and Gator and Bulls and Knight fans and all the rest will be pleased that our um, state universities will not be handicapped when they go to compete against other schools and other states that may have more expansive right. um, regulation. Yeah. Well, whether or not you want to call it a marathon or a sprint, there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of things that folks need to pay uh, need to pay attention to. We didn't even get to a discussion on all of them. Um, this, this idea about what we're going to do about ESG and the politicized economy that we're uh, creating if we don't. Um, I know that there's going to be a proposal to expand telehealth um, more in Florida. Um, and so uh, a lot of exciting stuff happening that folks should be paying attention to. And we will continue to update um, as episodes go on. Thanks, Bill, for joining us My and pleasure. for filling in. Um, that concludes this episode of Spill the Tea. We will be back with you in a couple weeks. Thank you for listening to Spill the Tea. For more content from the James Madison Institute, follow us on social media or check out our website at jamesmadison.org.